You're listening to the Stakes in the Six podcast. Here are your calls, Andrew Forbes, Peter Barracchini, and Alex Hopton. Well, hello, folks, and welcome back to Sticks in the Six, episode 112, brought to you by the folks at Indie Ale House. As always, I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with obviously only Peter Barracchini, but Peter, how's it going this week, buddy? It's going great. Uh, obviously, you know, trying to get by with the weather. I've had a couple of days where, you know me, how sometimes I deal with like migraines when the weather gets really, really, really crappy, and I had a really couple of crappy days, so... Not fun, especially when your head is pounding like, you know, it's like just being beaten with a baseball bat or something like that. It was just bad. And even like previously, the whole just the weather right now and like where we are, it's just wow. Just like event after event after event. We had a couple storms and now all of a sudden the deep freeze. Now I hope everyone is just, you know, staying warm because today was not a fun day to go outside. <laughs> No, no, it definitely wasn't. Uh, I mean, this is this is kind of what it's all about living in Canada. Eh? We we, oh, we yeah. finally got hit with the uh, the big snowstorm. We knew it was coming. We got by January pretty good, but uh, February hits and the and the snow comes in. And um, yeah, I mean, it's like everybody forgets how to drive up here. So the Great Boy. White North, and and you get hit with a little snow, and everyone panics. But yeah, um, yeah, I mean, it's we like I said, we kind of expected this was going to happen, and uh, you know. A uh, little bit of a late, uh, late decision here by by myself here to go live here tonight too. So, we are live on uh, on the VSN Network, Variety Sports Network. Uh, very excited to be partnered with them as well. Um, as we mentioned a few weeks back, we're gonna be we're gonna be sticking with them for for a while here, and and uh, as they are up and coming with the podcast scene, let's call it. Um, I will mention too, we off the top of the show here, we do have uh, Patrick Dennis Jr. from um not with the hype podcast uh very 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 cool uh pop uh podcast deals with pop culture all kinds of, of societal things and 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 it's fantastic fantastic to have him on to, uh we we did talk about the marketability of the nhl and its players and he had a lot of great stuff to say about mm-hmm. it. it was fantastic sitting down and talking with him um now worth noting that will be on our streams uh once the podcast is released on you know iHeartRadio and all all sorts of things like that, but uh, through the live show tonight uh, we do not have that interview, so be be sure to tune in um, when we post that podcast as well that episode. Um, but aside from that, uh, big big weekend for the NHL, big weekend for the NHL. Uh, you know, even if you're not a fan of it, it's it's the All Star Weekend down in Florida. Um, I'll give you a quick little All Star story for you. I was. I was writing, well, I still am writing for the hockey writers, but I was writing for them uh, back when the game was in Nashville, the John Scott uh, uh, all-star game. And uh, I posted a little throwback on Twitter today of me interviewing PK Subban, one of the, one of the many personalities that was involved in that, uh, in that all-star game. And um, I, I remember it was, it was, I got credentials, a last minute thing. I drove down 10 hours. I jumped, uh, you know, jumped down to Nashville. I, within within 24 hours i was doing another 10 hour drive back but um i will say one of one of the craziest moments for me and i've covered a couple events for the hockey writers but one of the craziest moments for me was leaving bridgestone arena in 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 downtown nashville beautiful city and uh you know just following the rest of the media out of the uh out of the uh 
the arena and, and exited through a door and it led to this red carpet. So I was like, okay, I got my bag on my hands in my pockets, head down, <laughs> walking down the red carpet. And uh, you know, all these kids hanging over the rail, just trying to get autographs. Right. And you know, you know how it is as a kid, you want to get mm-hmm. autographs for these players and whatnot. And Starstruck. Um, I'm, I know I'm not a player. I've got my media credentials on and I'm just kind of walking down this red carpet. And all of a sudden this lady out of nowhere just yells, sign a fucking autograph for Christ's sake. And I'm looking around and she's looking at me and I'm like, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not a player. I can't, I'm not going to sign the kids, kids jersey or something like that. So, um, but looking back, man, I would have, I would love to grab a Sharpie and just sign somebody's sign somebody's Jersey. So they had an Andrew Forbes signed Jersey. Hey. But, um, yeah, it didn't happen, but great event. And as I mentioned, it was the John Scott, uh, all-star game it was wild uh the media was going crazy over the fact that he was voted in and uh i'll tell you what hell of a speaker at his post-game presser and um you know i I bet he loved every minute of that so all-star weekend for the nhl this weekend skills competition going tonight or happened already um let's jump right into that i know we got some leaf talk to come up to as well but uh peter what's going on with the nhl all-star uh, skills competition these days. Uh, well, well, first things first, I know you told that story about you going to Nashville, but hearing that story about like, you know, somebody wanted to sign it and get your autograph, I would have been like, I would have just signed it. And then if they try to search you up on like hockey DB or elite prospects, they're going to be disappointed to find nothing, but, uh, played my, minor house league. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. They don't have to know what level you play. You just played hockey. Yeah. Um, too funny, but uh, yeah. Um, where do I begin with the skills comp? Already from the beginning, like everybody, if you were on social media and you were checking everything out, it was again kind of a what the NHL is basically with a crapshoot of the skills comp. Um, from the very beginning, you know, there were a lot of empty seats in the arena, fans weren't as engaged, the atmosphere wasn't as great. Um, You know, even the format and the schedule, you're jumping from event to event and it's just very confusing how we're we're so used to having one event, having like six or seven or eight competitors. You get through that event, then you go on to the next one, six or seven competitors or six to eight competitors go on, what have you. It was just too much of a mishmash. It was. It's, it looked like everything was done, like the schedule or like the planning of events was done the day of. And they just basically tried to fly by with it. Like, it was just so annoying. It was so hard to try and follow the format. And I really don't know what else to say. I know, you know, there are a couple comments on there saying that, like, I think the, there were only two highlights, really. Sarah Nurse uh, pulling off the Peter Forsberg in that shootout. That, I think, saved the... Tendi tandem because at that point the Tendi tandem event was not that great but then the splash shot event was kind of cool I will say that with the where you're using the surfboards as the targets and then you get in and then you shoot the puck at the dunk tank and the player goes in that was kind of fun was that the pre-recorded event that was the pre-recorded event yeah but I have one gripe about that there were times where you had to shoot two or three pucks at the surfboard and it made it seem like you were actually playing a game at like one of those traveling circuses or carnivals where it seems fixed that you're hitting it and it's not going down. That was my only gripe, but it was still a fun event. So outside of those two things, it was kind of cool. 
Uh, Mitch Marner dressed up as, uh, you know, guy from Miami Vice. David Pasternak was imitating Happy Gilmore with the golf. So, you know what? Kind of like some pop culture references there. But other than that, again, like another lackluster skills competition. Last year was probably the best one where we had with the shootout where Trevor Zegers is going full on dodgeball. Um, but yeah, I, I I was actually hoping that they would try and take some clips from previous skills comp and add it into this one because it was just boring. Did you see? Did you see uh, Zegris's tweet after the skills competition? Oh, with the uh, the yawn with the sleepy yeah. emoji. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of, kind of how everybody was feeling. And I was going to say to you, I think uh, um, you know, empty seats in Florida is not really a new story. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's kind of been been the story for the panthers for a long time but you know we we talked about this with with alex uh, a couple weeks back and and you know when we talked about nylander and whether he should be in the nh you know the all-star game and um you know the nhl all-star weekend has it's not just the game it's not just the three-on-three competition Mm -hmm. the the, whole whole weekend has become more of you know just kind of an embarrassing mark on on the nhl in, in my opinion and and to, to all those people that have a different opinion, by all means, you know, mm-hmm. I support you in having that opinion. Um, for me, myself, like I just, I don't, I don't sit here and look forward to watching what's going on. I, I like to see a little bit of competition. I like to see, you know, Hey, we're going to bump and we're going to grind and we're going to, we're going to, you know, throw, throw the body around a little bit in the games and stuff like that. Like I want there to be a, a competition and not just, you know, this is a fun skate skate around and, I feel like I feel like you're going to a public skate with a hockey stick and you're just mm-hmm. kind of skating around the, the the people that are there without sticks. That's what I feel like this whole weekend's about it now. And you know, it's become more of a more of a performance than it is hockey. Yeah. And and for me, like I'm at the point where I, I'd rather have no all star break. I'd rather have um, you know, maybe a quick international maybe, tournament. maybe everybody gets a weekend off to go down to maui or whatever you want to do and, and do your thing <laughs> but not not like an all-star weekend i'd rather have you just name the the nhl's first all-star team the nhl's second mm-hmm. all-star team the nhl's all rookie team i'm okay with that and, and i think it'd be more credible than what we what we're seeing in florida this weekend but yeah. again that's my opinion um you know, even so show, i just want to say one more here. quick thing uh sure like show you a quick uh quick comment here from Longtime listener Josh Brownlee, uh, keep up the good work on the podcast, boys. Uh, thank you very much, Josh. Thanks, Josh. Uh, appreciate Josh it. made it out to one of our live shows in Toronto at the bottom line as well. So, uh, appreciate it, Josh. And uh, keep listening, buddy. We can, uh, you know, we can use all the listens we we get, and um, you know, probably got more compliments here from Josh than uh, than the All Star Games going to get this weekend. But <laughs> go ahead with what you had to say there, Peter. Yeah, uh, even like I remember like in the past because, you know, so they did the faster skater event and they did like the whole players going at it one another. Then they got the final two and then they had to take a break and then they went with the final run between Kevin Fiala and Andrei Svechnikov. I remember, like you said, you wanted to be a bit of a competition when you had six, seven, eight players doing that event it's always like you know one lap around and it's always like the whoever has the top one gets the remaining first whoever doesn't and that's where the competition was that's what made it exciting because okay he has the best time what's this next player going to do is he going to beat it is he not and then at the end you save kind of like the best for last and then it's like a last minute ditch effort to try and 
you know, bump somebody down with the last skater. It was, it, it didn't have that feel. It was just like, okay, you're going to go, you're going to go top two done, whatever. Seemed kind of basic. It kind of felt like they were playing like the home or doing the home run derby where they had that break in between. And it's like, I can understand in baseball because, you know, these guys are hitting like 20, 30 home runs in like the span of like, you know, four, four and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. You're just doing one lap around for like 12, 13 seconds. That should be enough. And that competition is what makes it best. And I, I that's where I'm just going to end it right there because just the whole entire event, I'm going to be repeating myself. It, 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 it's lackluster. It was boring. And there's just not enough marketability with even the top players. We will get to that quite a bit with our interview with Patrick. But it, it just seems there was no presence or mindset from anything. Like it, it was just like, I, I really don't know what to say anymore. Yeah. And I mean, we can, we can beat this, beat this till, you know, till the end of time here, but mm-hmm. I think, I think they got to, they got to figure out a way to change things. And it's, I mean, I think the biggest story right now out of all-star weekend is Sidney Crosby saying that the NHL needs to go back to one versus eight. Yes. In the Thank that you, might Sid. be the biggest, that might be the biggest headline right now coming out of Florida. And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I know you agree. I know I agree. It's it, it would set up a great, because right now you've got, the fourth best record in the, in the league in Toronto going to end up going against the fifth best record in the league in Tampa Bay. And one of them is going to be out in the first round. Yeah. Or, or, or sorry, the third best, whatever, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Regardless, you're going to have two, two of your top teams in the East going head to head in the first round. And that's not what the playoffs is about. The playoffs is about rewarding the teams that do well in the regular season. Yeah. Hence what uh, Sidney Crosby had to say at all-star weekend. And again, we can see how the games might go tomorrow. I, I still think that the biggest storyline might be Sidney Crosby basically Playoff saying, format. you know, Gary, let's let's get our head on straight here. Um, I, uh, but- even Rachel Dory, even she commented on that, saying that even after every single round, do the reseeding like you did at the World Juniors where the top team mm-hmm. still sees and then you have the second, third, and then move everybody up. That, to me, would be a little bit more entertaining. Yeah, I mean they get they 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 got to find a way to do it because right now we talked about it with uh, with Patrick actually like the the ratings being down twenty two percent in the U S. Um, you got to find a way to make it a marketable game where people stay interested even in cities where maybe their team isn't as as uh, competitive mm-hmm. in in creating more rivalries because the rivalries that you were looking to create and doing what you did divisionally. They're not there. Um, obviously, you've got the Toronto and the the Boston, but you have the same teams every year making the playoffs and going against the same teams in the first round. Um, by the time teams get to you know the second, third, fourth round, they're not they're not. It's not the same competitive level because you've got injuries that you're dealing with. You've got tired teams. You've got like there's all these things that come into play with it as well. So, like I said, I think. When, you, when it comes down to it, when All-Star Weekend's all said and done, um, you know, you're, you're going you're gonna to have a discussion about what, what the biggest storylines are. And I, I can tell you right now, I think Crosby's saying that gonna be, is going to be one of them. Um, in saying that, one of Gary Bettman's big things was having every team represented at All-Star Weekend. We have a guy in Bo Horvat traded right before all-star weekend um now a member of the new york islanders 
still representing the Pacific division, your thoughts on that, but also your thoughts on the Bo Horvat trade in general, um, what Vancouver got, what New York got in one of what was one of Toronto's targets in Bo Horvat. Yeah. Uh, again, Canucks still made a big mistake letting Horvat go and re-signing JT Miller because, again, this is a guy that's been with the organization for so long, and now all of a sudden he's kind of like the odd man out, your captain, so to speak. That just seems like a you know a kick in the gut for him, uh, considering how the season has gone, how there's so many like controversies controversies surrounding the organization, but. Like you said, we're here to talk about the actual trade itself. And it was a bit of a shocker because no one expected the Islanders to come up out of nowhere and give the deal that they did. And and on the surface, it may seem like an underwhelming return for Vancouver, considering the fact that the top or the 2023 first is top 12 pick protected. I don't understand why they would agree to that. But then considering how bear the islanders prospect or you know draft capital is i could understand why they wanted to hang on to it but if i'm vancouver i would still want that because you haven't had first and gotten and god knows how long aside from lakaramaki before you gave up your first uh for oliver ekman larson in exchange for dylan genther basically so that was a big miss but getting atu ratu is a very underrated move considering how he was supposed to be a top the first overall pick basically in the 2021 draft so the fact that you know he dropped fell down to the new york islanders didn't quite have the best draft season but he's been able to pick it up and he's been able to find his game find the goal scoring ability find that power forward game that made him so special as a prospect that could be a big difference maker and the fact that they gave up you know a, a centerman that's in his prime right now realistically you would like to keep him but you got a promising young centerman in Aturatu that can be of a significant impact down the line as your second line center at best even if he doesn't reach his true potential he would still be a very decent third round or third line center but top six is his top potential so having him in there I think there's still a lot of untapped potential with Anthony Bavillier um Great skill set, great shot, great, you know, work ethic and energy. I just think there were times he was just a little bit off of the Islanders. So I think maybe going to Vancouver would be a fresh start for him. Overall, it worked out for both sides. You know, Islanders got a relatively decent play or not a relatively decent player, but a really great player in Bo Horvath. And it's going to look even better if they're able to resign him. Nothing at the moment yet, but... Vancouver got young players in return in Beauvillier and especially Ratu. I think he's going to be the main center or the main focus of this team down the line. But yeah, uh, on the surface, I could understand why there are like a lot of head scratching or whatever, but looking deeper, it is a good return for the Canucks. Great ad for the Islanders. So all around wins for everybody. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to say this. I think there's two ways to look at this trade right now. And, and the way I'm looking at it is if the Islanders are able to re-sign Bo Horvat, I, I, I truly believe that they win this trade. Mm -hmm. I'm not convinced that Bolivier is, or Bovillier is, is going to be turn into, to, to what the, the Canucks expect him to be. I oh, think yeah. his ceiling is only, uh, uh, you know, so high. 
Um, and for him to be kind of that centerpiece, I get there's a lot of excitement in what Atu Rati can bring. Um, that said, we've seen the highs and the lows of this prospect. Um, and I, I'm not, again, I'm not convinced that, you know, the lows aren't going to be there when he goes to Vancouver mm -hmm. as well. Um, like you said, he was supposed to be a top prospect in his draft class. Um, that fell off a little bit with his play in his draft year. Um, there was a lot of question marks as to whether he was the same player that, you know, he had originally been scouted as, um, and, and that's going to, that's going to kind of be in the back of the minds of a lot of people. And, and especially Vancouver fans as well, wondering, you know, we traded our captain for these two main assets. Um, and as you mentioned, the, the, the pick itself is, is top 12 protected. So, um, could have had you know, two top 15 picks possibly. Exactly. And, and that's why I, I wonder, you know, I, I said to, I said to somebody, uh, a colleague of mine that I, I believe I, the way I look at it is I think Vancouver rushed the trade. I think mm -hmm. they knew they weren't going to get a deal done with Bo Horvat, you know, Lou swoops in and, and throws this offer at them. And, you know, a young, a young player in Beauvillier, uh, an even younger, still considered a prospect in my mind in Ratty. And then of course the, the first round pick looks, looks juicy, even though it's outside the top 12. Um, it, it, it looked like a juicy trade. And I think, I think um, Alvin bet, a little bit too early. Mm -hmm. I think he could have gotten a better, a better deal done heading into the deadline with a team that was looking to add a piece like Bo Horvat. Because right now, let's be honest, goal wise, he's having a career year. Um, is he going to be due for for a nice little pay increase? Absolutely. But what he brings to the room, what he brings as a leader, mm -hmm. uh, I don't think you can replace that with what they got. And that's why I'm saying, like, if if New York resigns Bo Horvat, they win the trade, no questions asked. If he walks at the end of this year, then absolutely Vancouver looks looks like genial in in what they've done. Mm -hmm. um, so there, for me right now, there's two ways to look at it. I think this is going to be a, a trade that we look at, look back on, you know, in, in in a year's time and say, okay, this is how it turned out. You know, if he resigns, maybe we look back on it in five years and say, well, you know, Vancouver, this was the start of their their complete overhaul. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, the three of us sat here last week and mentioned how trading Bor Horvat was probably the worst idea they could have had. Um, not, not, not having the room within their cap to hold on to your captain and, and holding on to a guy like, you know, JT Miller. Um, you know, it, it's, it's definitely one of those things where you're, you're, you're raising a lot of question marks. Mm -hmm. So, I, for me, I think losing a guy like Horvat in the room is, is a, is a big loss for a team like Vancouver, especially because right now they look, they look like they're in turmoil. I, yeah. I, I don't know what else to say. Like I I've got, I've got family that are in Vancouver that are, are fans of this team. And I I'm telling you right now, like that team is in turmoil. You're not going to be making the playoffs this year. You're probably not going to be making the playoffs next year. You've come, you've, you've started basically another rebuild after mm -hmm. having done a rebuild after maybe a, the one, one of the most horrendous contracts in, in Roberto Luongo and not building a team around him. So sucks to be a Vancouver Canucks fan right now, but at the same time, you know, I hope, I hope for Horvat that he excels in, in New York and gets an opportunity to make a playoff run because, you know, having watched him in London, he, he certainly deserves that kind of credit and, and what he's brought to the Vancouver Canucks. I think he deserved to be treated a little bit better than, than he was um, 
in terms of, you know, finding him a home in Vancouver. So mm-hmm. um, that said, uh, like, like we mentioned off the top of the show, if you're listening on our streams, we will, uh, we will obviously throw to Patrick Dennis Jr. From not with the hype podcast to talk marketability in the NHL and with its players right now, um, that interview is brought to you by the folks at Indie Alehouse. Folks, we're happy to have with us a fantastic guest here. He is the co-host of the Not With The Hype podcast and honestly, all around great guy. He he truly is. Patrick Dennis Jr. here to talk about uh, with us about, you know, something very important is going around the NHL right now in terms of like marketability ratings and everything like that. So this is the perfect time to have you on, Pat. But first, how are you doing? Hey, hey, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's uh, been a busy week that uh, we're, we're in the midst of right now, but uh, I'm, I'm doing well, man, all things considered. Um, I got to I gotta just give thanks, and uh, I'm happy to be here. Truly am. I know it's something, Peter, you and I have talked about, and, and Andrew, mm-hmm. we were just catching up before, but I'm definitely excited to be here talking with you guys uh, about the NHL. As someone who's not an NHL uh, enthusiast, I'd say, all the, all the time, I'm definitely uh, glad to have the conversation with you guys and be here. Absolutely. And it's sometimes great to get that outside perspective, too, because sometimes we're too invested with the game that, you know, we only see what we see. But, you know, from your perspective, Pat, we're, we're, we're going to get right into it right now. Um, obviously, ratings are obviously important. Players' personalities are important. From your perspective, what differs from the NHL in terms of how players market themselves and how the league manages everything compared to what you see in, let's say, baseball, football, basketball, any other major sport out there? Because there does seem to be a big difference between hockey and everything else. Oh, yeah, there's a huge difference. Um, And I think about like the two biggest ones, I'll say NFL and NBA, if we look at from North American standpoint, right? MLB, I think they've got some work to do as well, but we'll, we'll come back to them. I think if you look at um the NBA is like an extreme over here, and then you've got uh, NHL extreme on one side. Uh, NBA is all about stars. You know, you know who your stars are. You're going to turn on, you know, you're going to see LeBron, you're going to see Giannis, you're going to see Tatum, you're going to see Jokic, you know, uh, Luka, Jason Tatum, all those guys. Those are your like your your prime stars, right? Um, regardless of what market you're in, you know who you who your stars are. John Morant, to throw out another name. And then if you look at NFL, it's more of a team sport for sure. But you know you have, uh, I was going to say the GOAT. I mean, he's retired now, but Brady's always the, well, we'll see if he stays retired. But Brady's like, always, <laughs> like the biggest name. You know, Mahomes. You've got uh, pretty much all the quarterbacks, really. And then you've got a couple other guys like the Kelsey brothers, Kittle, Bosa's of the world. You know what I mean? So there's some stars there as well, some marketability. Um, but then if we come to the NHL, yeah, there's a couple names that stick out, you know, the Crosbys, the Ovechkins, you know, that generation. And then as you get younger, right, um, you've got McDavid's and, and, and mm-hmm. things like that. But they're not that marketable to me. Like, I'm sorry, Tim Hortons commercials don't count as being a marketable um, or or known athlete, I think, uh, if we're talking North America wide. So for me as someone who I like watching hockey, but to me, it's just very regional. You know, there's not a lot of guys who are transcending um, to make it a 
continental or even global sport for that for that reason. So for me, yeah, I think they could do a lot more to get these guys out there, get these personalities out there and use them to market the game better and highlight your stars. You know, that's who people are paying money to see and, and go to the game. So that's one of the biggest things I think the NHL could work on. One thing you you mentioned was the NBA kind of opening up for its stars. But one thing I think about too is I think to like Russell Westbrook and Kyle Kuzma and guys that have come in and kind of created this individualism with the way that they come in and enter games. And, you know, Kuzma is a great example because his, <laughs> his style is something else. I saw, I saw yeah. a tweet today where it was like a big fur coat and somebody yeah. retweeted it was like, Oh, this is definitely a Kuzma, Kuzma design. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for me, like we, we've seen a little bit of a transition in the last, I don't know, year and a half to two years in which they're allowing NHL players to enter, you know, the rink with a little bit more individualistic look and mm -hmm. how much of that kind of plays into it too, because now with social media, you do see the outfits that these guys are wearing as they're coming into the games and people kind of feed off of that a little bit, right? Oh, a hundred percent. I think, uh, yeah, if we look at any of the sports now, it's always, you know, there's that social media team capturing the guys coming off the bus or walking into the arena. And that's what you want to see, right? Whether you like the fashion or you just want to meme it and make fun of it. I think it's um, it's great to see the personality and the fashion style or lack thereof that these guys have, you know, <laughs> um, especially like a Kuzma. But I look at, um, I think Matthews is one of the guys that sticks out who, uh, who comes in with his style in, on, on the Leafs. And I love that. I think the NBA went through this before. Um, and sorry if I keep mentioning the NBA, but I think it's good to compare uh, well, the two perfect. leagues. Yeah. Um, you think about when David Stern was uh, commissioner and issued, you know, the dress code policy and everyone had to come in suits. That killed a lot of the personality and, and vibe of the league. And then you had players who came back in, you know, when they relaxed the rules and the Kuzmas of the world, the Westbrooks, you know, they took it to a whole nother level. So I think it just allows players to have that creativity, that flexibility to to be themselves, show their style, market themselves in different ways. You know, we talk about revenue and uh, leagues, some leagues making a lot of money, but are the players getting what the right percentage, whatever, that's a whole nother conversation. But at least when you come to personality and fashion, you might have a clothing line or maybe you might be sponsoring a clothing line. Like this gives you an opportunity to, to flex that a little bit and show off um, your style and your taste and, and who you're rocking. So I think it's really important that uh, the NHL embraces that a bit more and lets players be players, man. Let them, uh, let them have fun a little bit, you know? And that's a big thing too, because you mentioned how like with David Stern, there was a whole like conservative look on how players should look coming into the to the stadium to be well dressed and everything like that same thing with hockey that has been the big yeah. thing for like 80s 90s even early thousands how you had to come in that suit you had to look sharp and you know we always hear like before he was taken off the air don cherry saying hey look at this guy in this suit kind of thing you know but like to have that in that you know your own fashion sense, your own look, the way that you feel about yourself. I, I, I agree that that's huge. And we're seeing, like you said, you mentioned with Matthews, Pasternak, even Patrick Laine mm -hmm. with his, you know, crazy getup sometimes as crazy as it is, it's fun. We want, because this game is heading to, or you're trying to market to the younger generation because of how young or how, 
how much of an age range these players are in that 20, 25, less than 30 range. It's huge because these kids are not to be easily impressionable, but they want to get a sense that, hey, he's having fun. I want to, too, you know, and that's the big thing. Yeah, I think so, too. I And aside from just the clothing, like I think back to when I was really into hockey um, as a kid, like Patrick Waugh was one of my favorite players growing up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what I loved about him, too, was man, he was authentically himself, you know, good or bad. Like yeah. you, knew, <laughs> you knew you were going to get like from out of Patrick Juan. I just love the way, even his goaltending style, the way he played, it was kind of unique and like over the top a little bit, exaggerating a lot of, a lot of the time. And I think allowing that to be a part of your game is only going to benefit, you know, players are fans. Like we want to see a little splash. We want to see the razzle dazzle. You know what I mean? So if, it's from the clothing the players are wearing. If it's from the way they play, maybe they show a little bit. Maybe there's, I mean, I don't think they do it in hockey as much, but Steph Curry, when he hits a shot, he hits that little uh, shimmy, right? So even if you get players showing a little bit extra when they score a goal, like let's just relax a little bit, have some fun. At the end of the mm -hmm. day, we're playing a kid's game. You know what I mean? So I really think it's about loosening up a little bit and just letting players be players uh, and having fun with it and, I think it would do wonders for uh, for the league. Two players you brought up there. First, Patrick Waugh. Uh, one of our first, one of our earlier interviews that we had on this podcast was with, was with a guy named Kelly Corpse, uh, who was drafted by the mm -hmm. Montreal Canadiens way back um, in in the eighties, and uh, he uh, it was one of our first unfiltered um, <laughs> interviews to oh, say yeah. the least. And I asked <laughs> him the question. I said, "Look." You know, Patrick Waugh was known to be a bit of an asshole, right? And, mm. and uh, you know, what was your experience with him? And he said pretty much the same thing as you. Like, this guy was, you know, he came off that way. But when he was on the ice, it was he was a gamer. And that was he was he was him. He was himself. Mm -hmm. He was, you know, he didn't play up to this this what was expected of him, right, in, in the yeah. media and everything. But another guy you brought up is Austin Matthews. And, you know, I, I personally think whether he sticks in Toronto or not, he's going to go down as one of maybe the – the more uh, iconic, I, I was going to say iconic uh, yeah, that too. Uh, in terms of style when mm -hmm. the way that he's entered games, like he just, you know, the shortcut pants, uh, <laughs> the nice loafers, you know, like all, yeah, yeah, all, yeah. all that, all that stuff. Right. But yeah, it kind of fits into what Evander Kane has been talking about. And, and he mm. came out and said, you know, like it's on the players to promote themselves and, especially in a, in a league where it's, you know, us dollars, you got teams in, in the, uh, in, you know, the Southern States that don't have the state taxes. And then you have teams in Canada, like in Toronto, where, you know, 54% or, or what have you is going to your agent, your taxes and, and escrow and all that. All of a sudden you're only seeing like half of what your contract reads. And now you're looking at marketing yourself as a player in terms of like, he's with Mars, uh, Matthews is with Mars blade and, and uh, a number of other companies as well, bringing in that revenue, going back to the NBA, when you mm -hmm. talk about what these guys make, LeBron James makes a lot of money through his contract, but a lot of his money as well comes through the marketing that he does outside of the game. So how important is that? And what Evander Kane is saying that, you know, it comes down to the player saying, Hey, look, I've got my contract. I've got the game that I'm supposed to be playing, but on the side, I should also look after myself in terms of promoting the game, but promoting myself as well. A hundred percent. I agree with you, man. I think if we talk about where we're at in 2023, it's all about your brand. Like regardless of who you are, you are a brand. And so imagine being an athlete 
your brand is even more important to you. So I would say, yeah, I think it's important if Vander Kane hit it on the head. Like these guys need to promote themselves, um, which in turn is going to promote the game, right? Uh, I think about like a guy like PK, uh, one of my mm. favorite players, man. PK was, you know, a guy who's always out there. Like you knew PK was either shooting a commercial or he's popping up on this podcast or he's popping up on a TV show here. He's doing all these different things. And that's what you need to do. You've got to be out there visible. Um, even, you know, LeBron's like the 1% of the 1% when it comes to athletes. But even if you take um, some of the the second tier guys, I'm trying to think of a name. Like even if you took like a, I mean, we're in Toronto, so I'll use like Scotty Barnes, for example. But you see the endorsements that a Scotty Barnes is. You can't turn on your TV and not see like three, four commercials with, with Scotty Barnes, right? Subway so, all the time. Subway, Subway all the time. Subway, <laughs> yeah. Subway by yeah. Scotty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I really think it's important to do that, especially in a league where, yeah, Canada is a huge market, but we're talking U.S. dollars. You've got mm -hmm. to go and make your name in the States and make sure that people know you in the southern parts of the state in Florida in you know even in Phoenix all those like southern and and sunshine states where it's hot and they might not be thinking about hockey you've got to make your name known cuz i'm sure cities like Pittsburgh Chicago um even New York you know they're going to pay attention to what's happening Boston to to the hockey realm but we're talking about those other cities and other states you've got to be out there you've got to be on um the first takes you've got to be making your appearances on some of these bigger networks and, and affiliating yourself with bigger brands. Um, I think that's on the players, but it's also on the league to, to push it there as well. Get those sponsorship deals with some of the bigger agencies as well. So I think it's twofold. You mentioned obviously players trying to like reach to the lower markets. Obviously, Austin Matthews is trying to go with that the the thing. You know, if I can make it from the desert to mm -hmm. the bright lights of the NHL kind of thing. You know, you're trying to play off that. But you also mentioned PK, and obviously he was probably the most like outgoing type of player to come into the NHL. We we already talked about his fashion, but even just the sound bites too. Like he yeah. was telling it as it was with his post game comments. Um. Evander Kane even mentioned that too. you like, you know, some players are kind of robotic, kind of like a <laughs> jab at Connor McDavid, but you know, to be a bit more relaxed um, when you get a sense of like post game scrums or like interview clips with players. Now, do you get the sense that they just need to just be a little bit loose? And I know that, you know, players tend to not want to say the wrong things, but at the same mm -hmm. time, if you have something to say that's on your mind, don't be afraid to speak a kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I, I laughed and sorry, not laughing at you, but I was just thinking of the, uh, the, all the different sketches that have been done throughout the years of hockey player interviews, whether they're Ottawa Senators back in the day on the bicycles after the game. Yeah. Or even, uh, you know, I'm, I can't remember uh, the show, but they met, they referenced like, uh, yeah, got to get pucks in deep, you know, stuff like pucks that. It's just, yeah, yeah it's just common. 110 yeah. percent. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The cliches. The cliches, right? Um, I'd love for the guys, for these <laughs> hockey players to get away from those cliches, man, and just be real. Like, yeah, you're not, and when I say be real, I don't mean go off and say something outlandish that's, you know, um, throwing out any slurs or anything that's offensive, oh, yeah. but no, keep it like, keep it, you know, clean, but like be you in the sense where, yeah, if, if you had a bad game, like talk about it, you know what I mean? Or if the, if you, you know, you're really excited about something like, get into it, show that excitement. And I feel like that's, what's missing from a lot of these hockey pressers. Um, 
and the guys who do show that the PKs, the Vander Canes, they get like ridiculed or they get, you know, slap on the wrist. And this is not how you do it. This is not how it's supposed to be. This is not hockey. And I think it's time for the league to adjust the way they look at the pressers. You know, it's let's have some fun with it. You look at any of the other sports, everyone wants that sound bite. Like imagine a sound bite resonating to the point where it's leading an ESPN sports center or first take or undisputed one of those big shows. Mm -hmm. Like imagine what that would do for the sport instead of it always being an NFL story, an NBA story, sometimes even MLB, you know, so it'd be great for the, for NHL to have a moment like that um, to resonate with the American audience. Cause in Canada, we know we're going to talk about hockey. It's going to lead every, every show, but you know, they really got to resonate with the American fans and the American public. I'm going to take you back to the Colorado Avalanche winning the Stanley Cup and maybe the biggest soundbite from that entire playoff run was Nazem Kadri winning the mm -hmm. cup and basically saying all the haters can kiss my ass and I think <laughs> that's 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 kind of what you guys Love are it. talking about mm -hmm. that's exactly yeah. what you want yeah. right because yeah. there's excitement there's a guy who's had a chip on his shoulder because you know I I was I was basically run out of Toronto and because they thought I was a problem and here I am standing here maybe should should have been a long shot for the MVP in the in their playoff run. And had he not been injured, that you know, big big question mark on. I'll tell you right now, I put a futures down on him to win the MVP because <laughs> I was convinced like he 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 was on a hell of a run, right? But um, I think too to right now, I mean, all day today that the news has been Brad Marchand going after the Toronto media mm -hmm. because he's been on Twitter just you know saying whatever he wants, and it's kind of nice, it's kind of refreshing to have that kind of you know. Um, bad boy yeah <laughs> yeah you know somebody somebody that can will say stuff out of the ordinary a little bit um but i want to jump into like the globalization of the game as well because one thing that the nba has done well and and they haven't even played too many games outside of of the u.s but they've globalized mm -hmm. the the market right um i think to like china china's become a a very big global supporter of of the nba um where you do see hockey trying to do that with their two games a season over in, you know, whether it be Czechia or, or, you know, Slovakia or Finland mm -hmm. or what have you, <laughs> but they really haven't globalized to, to the more populated areas in, in the world. And, and maybe that's something that we look at, you know, from a hockey aspect, but they're kind of, they're almost like recycling ideas, right? Like, okay, let's do another three outdoor games this year. But yeah. they don't they don't make it you know as big of a, an event maybe as it as it should be and I I'm just curious what your opinion is on that. Yeah, um, one thing I want to say to you, sorry, before I answer that one, you were talking about some of the some of the players from back in the day. I think about um Jeremy Roenick too was another guy who was outspoken, and I think the NHL is missing a, a personality like that. Um, just want to add that in there, little throwback yeah. shot, but uh. But yeah, just going back to what you were saying there. Um, yeah, I think the Winter Classics, to me anyways, they've lost their appeal just because I feel like there's so many and they're not as impactful as, you know, when it first came out. I was like, oh, we're playing outside. We're playing in these iconic um, stadiums. Uh, to me, it's it's a little too much. So maybe scale back on that. And then getting to like the global part of it, I don't know what how this would look logistically, so stay with me here. But imagine <laughs> if they took a team 
I don't know, you take Toronto, you take one of your other big markets, maybe New York or something like that, and you have them play a game in China, or maybe they play a game in even like South Asia, like you go to India or something and set up mm -hmm. some type of event there, even if it's not, you know, if you can't get the ice, maybe you do like some sort of ball hockey or some sort of tournament, you know, some sort of event and make it more of a global game, you know, and grow the game that way. Or if you want to go to Europe, yeah, just mix it up, do different things to make it more of a global game. Um, I think that would be great. I mean, it's working for every other league, right? We talk, you talk about the NBA, they have huge audiences all over. We already know about soccer and how big and global that sport is. Um, NFL, they're now expanding back into Europe and have those games throughout, you know, Germany and the UK, which is working out pretty well for them. Um, and Major League Baseball, I think, you know, what they're doing in Latin America um, and, the, and the Caribbean, I think is fantastic. So I think the NHL could, you know, there's no harm in, in we say it with where I work, stealing with pride and just borrowing some ideas <laughs> and, and running with that from uh, from the other leagues. You don't need to recycle, like you said, the ones that they've been using in the past. So I think there's a lot more they could do to just grow it globally um, and, and doing those unique events in different areas. You know, test it, test and try, you know, maybe it doesn't work, but at least you tried, you know, um, and send some of your stars out to those areas to market the game a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad you said that because I, I was going to say the same thing. Try it and, you know, if it doesn't work, you've you've done your due diligence in trying to market the game at least that way. And the other thing I think about is like, you know, they talk, keep talking about having this World Cup. They can't make it affordable in Canada. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, maybe that's that's an event where you, you throw a best on best tournament against, you know, different countries and have it, like you said, maybe in South, you know, Southeast Asia or something like that. And just and try and market the game to places that aren't you know, known to have like competitive, you know, competitive hockey, right? Like that's, yeah. that's, that's what you want is the growth of the game in, in areas that hasn't already seen that growth. So you keep going, throwing these games over in Finland and Czechia and all that. Well, guess what? They're already in the world juniors. Yeah. They're already in the, exactly. in the <laughs> Olympics, right? You need, you need the teams from like countries that, you know, wouldn't normally be there. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's funny. You, I, I thought of two things that you said that, one of my favorite things I used to love in video games, like playing in uh, those sports games, is like when you take an all-star team and put that against, uh, you know, one of your one of your other league teams, or you take an international team if you're playing FIFA and you put that against like Team Brazil versus Barcelona or something like that. You mm -hmm. know, like imagine mm -hmm. recreating something like that um, with with the NHL. That'd be amazing. And then the other aspect of that too is, yeah, let's let's mix let's mix it up, right? Take some of those guys and send them out to you know, different parts of the world and, and have them market it um, in a way that would be unique and fun in areas that maybe they're not even, they don't even know what hockey is. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I yeah. think that's also a really cool way to do it. Um, and yeah, just branch out a little bit and, and show off some of the, the young talent that's in the league. Cause there's a ton of talent, like hockey is an amazing sport. Um, I just don't think that enough of the world knows about it enough to care, you know, and even within even if we stick it to North America, I think that there's a lot that could be done to uh, grow the game in the U.S., especially in the southern part of the U.S. as well. So maybe it's even starting there and then branching out. Mm -hmm.
Yeah, you mentioned our, both you, uh, Patrick and Andrew, mentioned the international aspect of it. And the NHL kind of missed the mark the last two Olympics where you could have had the best on best, but you didn't send your best players because, you know, there was something going on with the double IHF and Gary Bettman wasn't willing to do that. But at the same time, you know, you want to grow the game. You want to get the ratings. You want to get the views, especially the last two Olympics and uh Pyong, Pyongyang and uh, in South Korea and in China. So two markets there that you want to try and grow the game. You didn't go. And that's where it kind of ties into my next one. The ratings are down in North America with when it comes to the NHL. Um, I believe it was 22% down from the previous season. So like there's got to be some give and take here kind of thing, you know, like, like if you don't market your best players in, internationally or even locally you're not going to get the same type of reaction that you would here peter actually if you guys don't mind i'm going to jump in real quick here because i'm going to go off that that stat that you read about the 22 percent and read you mm-hmm. the, the exact tweet because it's actually numbers, a very yeah. interesting tweet here so uh mark j burns um tweeted nhl us tv national viewership is down 22 percent this season per findings uh from austin carp uh nhl regular season games uh, to date have averaged 373,000 viewers on ESPN and TNT. The second season of the league's seven-year pact with Disney and Turner, NHL averaged 478,000 viewers at this point last season. So you're down uh, over 100,000 viewers per per game. So just something interesting yeah. to throw out there as well. And those networks do a good job for the other major sports. They, they definitely do. I was going to say, like, I've... Uh been able to, I've been fortunate enough to it was on past it a while to catch some ESPN TNT uh coverage of different sports especially like uh, um ESPN and what they do for football like that's mm-hmm. that's their ticket you know and, and TNT when it comes to basketball um but their shows and let's call it that they are shows that they put on for the NHL to me don't resonate the same um and I don't know if they Put the same marketing dollars behind it, the same budget behind it. Um, but to me, they're lacking there. And they have some good personalities on them, especially on the the, the ESPN side. But I feel like they could do a better job in, in pushing that. And, you know, I, I've been reading about this today as the news came out. A lot of folks talk about regional blackouts and things like that. Like mm-hmm. you shouldn't be having blackouts in, in 2023 like that, you know, and let people stream the games. Like sticking to traditional TV I don't think is a model that works anymore. You've got to let people watch the games where and however they want to, you know, Um, whether it's on the phone, on the go, or like through apps, whatever the case is, like you've got to make it more accessible for people to, to see your product. Uh, I feel like they're missing the mark on that one. Well, I have a hundred suggestions on how we can fix the the NHL. (laughs) Uh, one, One thing. Yeah. One thing I uh, I've I've really noticed, and and there's been a lot of conversation, especially recently, about this. Is, I mean, we see in the in in the MLB, we see uh, in the NFL, and we see in the NBA a soft cap with a luxury tax, right? And the big thing here is you're seeing players traded from from markets that you know should have an interest in their teams. I'll, I'll jump to the Bo Horvat trade that just happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's your captain in in Vancouver, a guy that's been with the team and and been through some ups and downs with that club and you're forced to trade him because of a hard cap 
and a guy that likely you should have kept um, moving forward. I mean, we've talked about on the podcast, that team made a horrible decision, but they were forced to do so because of the, the hard cap. Looking at the other sports and how it works, I mean, sure, it'll benefit teams that are in maybe larger markets like Toronto, um, and it could hurt teams like Arizona, who maybe shouldn't even be in the NHL. Um, that's an <laughs> argument for another day. But um, how do you how do you look at this and say, you know, we got to stick to the hard cap? It used to be all about keeping the stars in their cities. Steve Eiserman played his entire career in, in Detroit. How do you keep an Austin Matthews in Toronto where the money's going to, you know, they would happily give him 15 million a year if there was no cap. Yeah. I, I, I think about that too. And I'm right there with you, man. I'm right there with you. Cause I feel like a cap would definitely fix. I'm not going to say fix everything, but it would fix some of the issues that they're having in the league, whether it's a soft cap, whatever, but um, you definitely want to be able to keep your stars. Like, to me, this all comes back to the stars. You market your sport mm-hmm. off of your stars, which then leads people to teams following different uh, teams and, and their stars wherever they wherever they move throughout their career. But I, I really think they've got to look at that because if you think of NBA, yes, the problem exists where players can kind of dictate where they go. Um, but we've seen stars like Damian Lillard, for example, you know, who could go to, you know, he's playing in a mid-market in Portland, could have gone to a larger, maybe in LA and New York, but decided, you know what, I'm going to take the hometown discount. I'm going to stay home. I'm going to stay here and, and, and play my career. So I think it could only help the league in bolstering the stars, you know, the teams in the lower end, they're probably going to draft good talent. They could foster a talent, keep that talent, keep resigning them and then build around them. So you can get that better parity and just uh, interest within the league. So a cap, I think, is definitely the way to go. But I feel like everyone's been talking about this. And would they introduce the cap? And it seems like Bettman's pretty set on not um, not going that route. Again, we can have a full-on discussion on Gary Bettman and what he can <laughs> do. But, you know, we're probably running out of time for that. And also, you know, that would probably be a full episode. But, Pat, <laughs> we really appreciate you coming on to giving you to giving us some insight from your perspective on the NHL, the marketability of the players, the league itself. We really appreciate that. Uh, for the viewers out there, uh, how can they find you? Um, uh, what would you like to plug in? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You can find me on all social media at Patrick Dennis Jr. Um, Also follow Not With The Hype, uh, the podcast that I co-host. We put uh, out an episode pretty much every week. Uh, So we're on every platform, wherever you get your podcast, Spotify, Apple, SoundCloud, all those places. So yeah, please, Patrick Dennis Jr. and Not With The Hype. You can find me there. Guys, I want to say this has been a pleasure. Um, I don't often get a chance to talk hockey, so this is this is really fun. I appreciate it. And uh, you guys have, I think you made me turn me back into a fan. There you, <laughs> there you go. go. There we you probably go, turned buddy. you into an analyst, too, at this point. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> I love it. Thanks, guys. Yeah, no problem. We really appreciate you, Patrick, coming on. And I really recommend listening to Not With The Hype. Great podcast. Check it out. Patrick Dennis Jr., once again, thank you for coming on and joining us on The Sticks and The Six. As always, hockey is back, and with it, so are our Maple Leafs. Uh, Getting ready for a night out or watching the game at home with the gang, what better way to do it than with a nice cold one from the folks at Indie Ale House in Toronto? 
with two locations in the city at Italy, Toronto, at Bay and Bloor, the Biroteca location. They have two big screens, amazing, authentic Italian food, and loads of beer. Also at OG Brew Pub in the Junction at Keel and Dundas with 120 seats, famous bar food, and 12 taps. Indie Ale House is an award-winning brewery featuring their flagship Instigator IPA and dozens of rotating monthly special release beers. Perfect for takeout, dine-in, or bottle shop online orders when planning for game night. You can find Instigator IPA or the beautiful Marco Polo Pilsner that I have right here with me at finer LCBOs across the province as well. Hashtag live indie is the motto adventurous fun focused beers with a selection for everyone from a healthy dose to of in your face hoppy beers for the beer geeks to mainstream pilsners and easy drinking options. Indie Alehouse is the go to for game day. Visit www.indialehouse.com to place your orders today. And with that, we are jumping over to our Maple Leaf talk. And obviously, we're going to talk a little deadline as we head into the March 3rd deadline. Um, one target, as we said, Bo Horvat off the table. Uh, I don't I don't see the New York Islanders trading an asset like that now that they've got him. So we'll take him off our, our, uh, our table as well. But I want to get your insight on what the Leafs need to do at the deadline. Are we talking about a you know, making that big splash, get going after the big name like Timo Meyer, or are we talking about like little deals like the Giordano move that we saw that brought him in and and really changed the the direction of how Lilligren's development was happening uh, just a season ago? Are the Leafs going to be big big buyers at the deadline? What are your thoughts, Peter? Well, I as we've talked about many times before, me, you, Alex, we have no idea what. Kyle Dubas would be doing and I think it was uh, I think it was also Mark Shag who wrote a great piece about the Maple Leafs how they may surprise a lot of people about what their plans are because there's a lot of unpredictability in and I mean by that is you think they're going after one player but then they go after someone completely different and that's probably what's going to happen because you know we we, we knew that they were in on Giordano last year i think this time it might be a little bit different and they're holding their cards close to their chest right now insider baby insider. exactly you got it you got that insider information that's the main thing but um yeah i i think you're going to like ideally you would like to try and get a top 6 forward but with horvat gone and if that but if that's going to be the market set for that for a top 6 player then the Maple Leafs can top that because they have, you know, B slash A rated prospects. Um, I, I they have roster pieces that they can send off in a trade as well. I know they want to hang on to their first this year, but if they're able to even move the 2024 first round pick, I think that might be more within their range of trying to move on from a pick because this year's draft is very deep. But yeah, I it all depends on who they're going after. And I think if any cost is involving Matthew Nyes, unless you're getting a top tier player with a contract or with term, I don't think you're moving Nyes because he's looking fantastic in the NCAA. You're looking at moving possibly Fraser Minton, Topi Nimala as a prospect, maybe not maybe Nick Robertson, but at the same time, he's dealing with his injuries. Is the team really going to take him on? Um, I think you try to get deals done where you have those like middle six players where you can move them up and down the lineup that have a bit more impact. And I mean by that is, you know, what we're seeing, what we're seeing with Kerfoot, Alexander Kerfoot, Pierre Engvall, they're, 
they have their moments in certain games, but then they fall off right after that for like a good stretch. So they don't have that consistency. If you're able to find some players with consistency that is more within their wheelhouse where they could trade B-level prospects, roster players, and still trade like, you know, mid to late round picks, I think that would be more ideal, kind of like the Giordano move. But at the same time, it's uh, very, very up in the air of what they're going to do. They can go big. They have assets to do it. It's just, will they make it work? Because they have, they're so tight to the cap. And would they rather go for like players with a cheaper contract that still have high upside and can still play with their defensive mindset, uh, added physical play, try and be a bit more competitive? I think that's more of the direction that they should go right now. Yeah. I want to get your opinion too on Matthew Nice because there's a lot of conversation. I, I know. I think it was you or Alex engaged with somebody on Twitter uh, in terms of, you know, the untouchability of Matthew Mm Nyes. And, you know, you talk about his year so far at the, uh, in the NCAA uh, at the university of Minnesota. Um, And this kid is, this kid's putting on a show. So last year, a point per game, 15 goals, uh, 33 points in 33 games. And uh, this, this season, 17 goals, 30 points in 28 games. Um, you know, this is this is this is one of their top prospects when it comes to big physical, a guy that can put the puck in the net and and really, in my opinion, you know, you hear about how Kyle Dubas says the first their first round pick this year is untouchable. Well, to me, Matthew Nyes might be your most untouchable prospect. Yeah, and I, I know the comment you're referring to, and uh, they were talking about his production too. How it doesn't seem like you know, it's jumping off the page like you're seeing with Jimmy Snuggerud or even Logan Cooley, who are one, two, or they're ahead of nice in their team scoring. And I said, you know what? Yeah, production is important, but you got to look past that. What is he doing that's making him succeed right now? And what makes Matthew Nice so successful is the ability to use the size to his advantage, playing the power forward game, coming out of the corners with quick speed. He wanted to improve on that aspect, and he has. He's got a much smoother stride this time around. And even so, he this is a player that can you know play in all situations, power play. He's played on penalty kill in the past. So this is a player who's not just being an offensive threat, but he's being very responsible. He has the smarts. He has the awareness. He has the ability to locate his teammates. His head is always up. He's always assessing the situation perfectly. And I think that's what you want to see for a player that's able to make the jump from the NCAA to the NHL. And everyone is saying, oh, call it collegiate is different from the NHL. Yeah, we get that. We understand that. We're not trying to overhype him, but he is showing promise that he can make the jump and start to succeed at the next level. Oh, I'm going to 100% overhype him. I mean, we're, we're a Toronto release <laughs> podcast and, you know, that's, that's true. Yeah. Is overhyping everything, everything when it comes to the NHL, when it's another team's fan base, it's always about Toronto. We're the so, center of the hockey universe. That's right. We're going to overhype everything that we can. So, um, yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. I think right now, yeah, of course you can't compare the NCAA to the NHL, but I mean, when you have a guy that's excelling the way that he is at the NCAA, you don't want to look, you don't want to look past that either. And Mm -hmm. we've seen the NCAA over the last number of years, as well as the USHL become a breeding ground for NHL talent. And it's not the same NCAA that we would have been talking about even five years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, now, now this is, this is a, a league that we see a lot of players go to uh, developmentally, not only for school, but as well for, for getting an, an opportunity to kind of play a little bit more hockey at their level so that they are ready for, to make that jump to the NHL. Um, and, and I think, you know, to see what Matthew Nyes is doing for, for Minnesota, you can't, you can't over overlook that. And, you know, the comments to say like, you know, his, his production isn't where it needs to be. I mean, that's, it's like saying Nylander is the worst player because he holds up on hits. I'm, I mean, it's a, yeah. a conversation we, we don't even need to have at this it point. Shouldn't. But yep. Here's, here's the way I look at it is if you, if you have the right deal in place and the, the make or break is Matthew Nyes and you are in a position to go on a, on a very, very strong cup run, then yes, you consider trading a guy like Matthew Nyes. At this point, the Leafs aren't there. Mm-hmm. And could they go on a run this year? Absolutely. And, and I'm not saying they can't. I'm saying they have not made it past the first round in how many years? To to, to sit here and, and, and speculate that, yeah, you know what? We're one left wing and one right defenseman away from, from making a cup run. I'm not convinced. To, to, to say that you need to trade Matthew Nyes because this is this is the end all and be all of, of the the Maple Leafs future and they need to they need to win now. No, you're not you're not in a win now. Um, people are going people are saying that in 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 thinking that you know Matthews is gone at the end of his contract, Nylander's gone at the end of his contract. There's no there's no hard fact saying that either of the, those statements are, gone. are true. Yeah, right. You've got Riley signed to long-term, you know, Marner's going to be up in a little bit. My guess is he wants to stay in Toronto. You know, Michael Bunting, as much as I'd love to keep him, if he does go somewhere else, is replaceable. We've seen that. We've seen Hyman was replaceable. Um, Bunting is replaceable. Um, There are players within that lineup that are replaceable. This is not a win now. You still have to have, you know, potential in the cupboard for when it comes to your future and your mm-hmm. prospect and, and making sure that you, you set this team up for success. If you're, if you're a team like Vancouver, where you're going through the, the ringer and, and trying to find young guys to, to come in and change the culture of that team, you don't want that in Toronto. No. We've seen that happen in Toronto. And how well did that go? How many people have to throw their jerseys on the ice that season? Throw it's waffles not, too. Waffles, you know, waffles <laughs> jerseys. That's what we do in Toronto. <laughs> Uh, maple syrup, you know, um, but that's not what like you don't want to get to that point again. So you don't mm-hmm. want to sacrifice your entire future to maybe get to the third round. You know one, what I'm saying? Yeah. One more point. Those that would be willing to trade Matthew Nice or just about anybody. If you trade Matthew Nice and the trade doesn't work out, and the team is good, and he's going to and he's going to thrive no matter where he goes. You are going to be the same person that complains that we traded Matthew Nyes and the trade didn't work out, even though you wanted to trade him. So I ask you this. This is a player that I'm not trying to put like an uh, enormous amount of pressure on him to come in and be a middle six forward that can have an impact in the playoffs. But what if he does come in? Because I know it's not likely to happen, but what if he does succeed? What if he does play his heart out? What if he does live up to the hype or live up to the expectations that the team has of him? And he is a critical piece in a 
in the first round. And if everything goes well, what if that continues on? You, he has a lot of potential. You just can't give up on that. Same thing with Nick Robertson. I think right now it's a different situation because he's always injured, but he, he is a dynamic goal scorer. He has shown that. You just can't give up on that. Well, and, and I mean, you have to assume that the Leafs are going to get some injuries down the stretch and they might need a guy to step in once his season's done in the NCAA. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, let's not sit here and pretend that the Leafs haven't had issues with injuries all season long. That's mm-hmm. going to likely happen again at some point down the road. And they might need that, that, that piece. And, and you don't, you no longer have Nick Robertson to step into that role. So now you have maybe a guy that, that had a point per game season, in the NCAA that can come up and, and step into that role. And I mean, you have to, you have to try and salvage your future as well. And that's my, that's my biggest thing is salvage your future. You know what I'm going to do, Peter, is I'm going to start taking uh, screenshots of every, every little bit of Matthew Nye's hate speech that I see over the next little bit. <laughs> and in do. three years, in three years, when he's a top five scorer on this team, we're going to sit down and have the same conversation. And I'm going to, I'm going to roll a little, 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 uh, banner across the bottom here of all the hate speech that i put them all up on the screen with the usernames of every single person that 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 released it um so stay stay tuned for sticks in the six episode 354 takes years but uh no i i I think for me going back to the question i think the least need to make the right moves for them and Mm -hmm. i don't think they're at the point where they go after i know everybody wants timo meyer i know they want timo meyer or jacob chikrin I I would love either one of them. I wouldn't be surprised if the Leafs go after somebody like a James Van Riemsdyk, somebody like a Travis Konechny. Uh, Travis Konechny. Um, even even that might be a little bit of a stretch for what they what they are willing to give up. Um, you know, I think I think they really have to look at what they have um, and and consider is is this the final straw to getting to the the stanley cup final and right now i i have to see consistency in their play and i haven't seen that mm-hmm. you know we've seen them play down to the the the, the lower teams in the standings and if that's going to continue to be the case you're not ready to to make that big splash at the trade deadline to go all in that's 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 where my head's at I think that those five games against Columbus, Montreal, and Chicago, I think that would be if they're able to go five and zero in that in those in, during that stretch, maybe four and one because one of them is going to be back to back. You, you got to see what you can do because all those three teams are below in the standings, and you don't want a repeat of what we saw weeks ago with Toronto versus Montreal against Ottawa because those are valuable points gone, and those are teams that you should be winning against no matter what. These next two weeks are going to be big for them, and and yeah. they're without Matthew. So I mean, this is this is a real test for them. And and I'm I'm going to throw one more name out there again. I threw it out a few weeks ago when I wrote the piece of why Dubas was seeing that the Arizona game. Lawson Kraus is a guy that I truly, mm-hmm. truly, truly, truly believe. He's a guy that kind of fits the mold of a of a you know big body physical being that can fit into the Wayne Simmons type of role um if you take on like the big bad bruins in the playoffs but he can also tuck and that's Mm going to be the biggest thing and you know he's not he's not to the same level of tom wilson but he's on the verge of being that tom wilson type of guy where he he can put up 15 20 goals and still be a physical presence in the lineup i think he's a perfect left winger for that second line 
I, I, I'm throwing that name out there. If he gets, if he, you know, if somehow he finds his way to Toronto, I'm calling myself the insider once again. <laughs> kind of a little bit of a spoiler alert for me. I know like they were like, you know, target pieces for the St. Louis blues that, you know, um, Shane Sini and Spencer Lazari have talked about, they talked about Ivan Barbashev and Noel Chari. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, you know, Jeremy Rutherford came out saying that they could be had for like mid for a second, third, fourth round pick, what have you, or a second and third, possibly a fourth. If they don't have that third, they, they could be had for mid round picks or B level prospects. I think if you can manage that for two players, that could play physical and chip in with goals. That could be huge. That could be a big addition. And you're not giving up a whole lot because you're giving up pe- pieces that can be easily replaced. Yeah, no, I, and that, that's what they need to do. They need to find ways of getting those pieces to replace what they, what they need um, for, for, you know, that, those cheaper prices. In saying that, after I've shut down the Timo Meyer idea, what do you think the price is for a guy like Timo Meyer? And, and do you think the Leafs do have a way of making it work for him? Yeah. Uh, the, it's, it's funny you brought that up because Shang, Shang Peng from San Jose Hockey or SJ Hockey now came up with, you know, the potential or like there's an outside source that said what the potential asking price is. It's a first rounder and a grade one prospect, which you're probably looking at 2023 and Matthew Nice, if that's the case. Or two great B graded prospects, one good prospect or one good prospect and a young established NHLer. So I think if that's the second, the latter half that you go through, if you can trade a, you know, Nick Abruzzese or even a Ronnie Hirvonen, or even if you need to throw in Fraser Minton, what, two out of those three players, that can be had. Plus, there's also the fact that, you know, you could throw in a good prospect or those two are already decent prospects as well. Topi Niemelo, right-handed shot defender, an established NHL player that's also young. That can be had. And if you get to keep Matthew Nice in your first and you go for that latter option, that could be a potential starting point in my view. Because if you're giving up mid-tier prospects plus a well-established young talent in the NHL right now, if you get to keep your first and nice, I think that's the way you go. Yeah, I mean... If you can find a way to get it done and you know that you're going to lock up Timo Maier, the biggest the biggest problem right now is if you go after Timo Maier, you've got big contracts and Matthews, Nylander, mm-hmm. Marner all coming off the books in the next couple of years. He's asking for $9 million possibly. So and His qualifying offer is $10 million, so you're in tough. Yeah, and, and that's that's kind of the, the, the aspect of that trade that I'm looking at. I'm like, it doesn't make sense for the Maple Leafs. Mm-hmm. As, much as, as much as it'd be nice to get him in there, it, to me, you're giving up too much of your future for a guy that, you know, will will be there for the remainder of his contract and then he's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, I, I'm not willing to go that route. Um, knowing what we've done in the past with the Felino trade, giving up the first round pick, yeah. and, albeit in in a in a bit of a weaker draft. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. I don't I don't see the Leafs making that big move. I I I, I truly believe that the Leafs are going to make a couple of smaller deals um maybe they find a way to get Simmons on a team where he's going to play a little bit more um you know get some some smaller pieces that that add a little bit of depth to the lineup I don't see Timo Meyer being that piece and um 
you know, he look he would look great in blue and white, but yeah, it's just it, it's too big of a cost, and and moving forward contractually, it doesn't make sense. Uh, but again, that's just my opinion. Mm-hmm. I'm not an insider. I'm not Bob McKenzie. I'm <laughs> not uh, you know any of those guys. Uh, but I, I I'm just looking at it from the outside uh, perspective, armchair GM, and uh, I just I, I don't see that being a yeah. reality for for the Maple Leafs. Agree. Um, Leafs making the deadline work um, for versus the Bruins in Tampa. So that's going to be the biggest question mark, right? Obviously the Bruins, you know, they're the, they're, they're the, the hierarchy of this, of this NHL season, right? They're the, they're the, the ones at the top of the Eastern conference. They're, they're at the top of the overall standings. Um, the Leafs need to find a way to have a better deadline than the two teams that they're going to see likely in the first two rounds. Um, now we know Bo Horvat obviously not going to the Bruins anymore. That was a little bit, there was some speculation there as well, as well as some speculation that, you know, Horvat might come to the Leafs. So that one's off the table. Uh, seems like Tampa Bay always finds a way to make the deadline interesting for themselves. Last, last year they got Brandon Hagel leading up to the deadline. Um, and again, went on, went on a great run to the Stanley cup final. Your thoughts on the Leafs, if they can outduel the Bruins and the, the Lightning going into the deadline. Yeah, and the big thing that we've been talking about lately is draft capital prospects. Um, the Boston Bruins, if they were in on Bo Horvat, chances are they would have to give up Fabian Lysel. And if they were willing to do it, they would have pulled, they would have got on the phone and say, yeah, we're doing this right now. They are not giving up Lysel because their prospect system is absolutely bare. They Sorry, have it's, it's awful. Yeah, I I they're probably one of the weakest in my in my eyes. And they do have some good names. They do have Brett Harrison, they have Mason Lori. They have some quality names in their system. But they if you were to move them in a trade, you're not, it's not going to be enough to bring in a top-tier name unless it's just Lizell. So that to me is one reason why Boston would probably be going for death players or role players as opposed to going for like a top six. Same thing with Tampa Bay. Um, you know, looking at their prospect system, you know, they they got Isaac Howard. They have, you know, Jack Thompson. They have Jack Finley. They got They got good names, but they don't have ones that, because they basically gave everything up after that Brandon Hagel trade. They gave up their top prospects essentially in that deal. Um, so it, it, it's kind of the same situation as the Bruins. They have, they don't have a deep enough prospect system to try and move prospects. Um, they have late round picks that could be of use to them, but that's still not enough because at most they have a second in 2024. And this year they don't have a pick until the third round, fourth round. Um, same thing with the Bruins, too. I mean, they got to pick in every single round, but I think they're going to hold on to them because I think they know how bare their prospect system is to try and make the most of those picks. Um, they can move their first, they can move their third, but it they probably made their last big transi- transaction by getting Hampus Lindholm last year as well. So um, I, I they'll make deals. They'll make good, solid depth deals because that's what they do. They got a good scouting department, both teams, but I don't think they're going to get in a big or the top name like they did last year. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, uh, like you said, it's going to come down to which one can make the best depth deal. Um, obviously, Tampa's had a, had a knack for building up that third mm-hmm. line, which is what ultimately won them two Stanley Cups. Um, and Boston's, Boston's, you know, Boston's Boston. They're going to have that top three line. Uh, they got Hall in the, as one, you know, one of their depth players. They're going to have, they're going to have, you know, they're going to be the same tough Bruins that we've had had to play against for the last, you know, four or five years, right? But uh, it's going to come down to, the, you know, the Leafs and Dubas finding a way to make that kind of small deal that ends up being a big piece heading mm-hmm. into the playoffs. And and realistically, like like I said, you want to find a cheap option. You want to find like a, a Michael Bunting where you can add a piece to the lineup for cheap and, and he comes in and gets something done. And and maybe it comes down to goaltending. We don't know the 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 health of Matt Murray and where he's at with his ankle. Um, but uh, it's going to be an interesting deadline leading into that last this last month before before the March third uh, um, yeah, NHL deadline. And uh, you know, it's it's definitely something that uh, we'll continue to talk about on a weekly basis for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the Leafs need to find a way to outduel these two teams ahead of them because. Until until Gary decides to go back to that one eight playoff, um, well, these are the two teams that we're likely going to be seeing in the in the first couple rounds here, and uh, the Leafs have to find a way to try and get it done um, on that side of the on that side of it. But listen to Sid, Gary. Listen to Sid. I mean, he's uh, you know Mark he's been the face of the he's NHL for years. Face of the NHL, exactly. Exactly what we talked about with Patrick Dennis Jr. <laughs> here on this episode, but. Um, Peter, before we, before we shut it down here, a couple quick notes, Dylan Strom signed a five-year extension with the Washington Capitals. Um, good for him. I mean, we saw Mark Shag talk about it. He's been kind of, you know, sticking to it after he got drafted third overall and just didn't really work out. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's found a way he's found a home in Washington and now, you know, collects on that bag. Um, and I would be remiss, um, if we didn't mention Bobby Hall, uh, passing at the age of 84, Obviously, a lot, a lot of controversy on the Twitterverse yeah. um, about Bobby Hall as a person. Um, and I saw the perfect tweet. You can't celebrate him as a player without recognizing what kind of person he was away from the game. Yep. And uh, so with that, I will leave it there and say, you know, obviously our, our, our thoughts are with his family at this time. Um, you know, it's obviously a tough thing to go through. That being said, um, you know, you have to look at all aspects of a, of a person, not just the, the player mm-hmm. they were on the ice as well um, to, to rightfully celebrate or not celebrate who they are uh, with their passing. So that being said, Peter, before we shut it down here, our live show here tonight, uh, episode 112 of sticks in the six, anything you got for us coming up this week? Yeah, uh, I mentioned it. I gave it a little spoiler alert. Uh, got something about how the Leafs can try and acquire Barbashev and Achari as opposed to maybe Ryan O'Reilly, who might be a little bit of a heftier price tag, may still want to stay in St. Louis. So they have options there as well. So be on the lookout for that. All right, I will be. Uh, I got a. I got a piece coming out about why Dubis was in Kitchener, ta- looking at looking after the uh, Kitchener Rangers. So. Um, that should be a fun one. That should be a fun one. Something we can look at uh, heading into the the June draft. I was about to say, I already gave you my guesses. So yeah, there you go. There you go. 
Um, with that, obviously, we missed Alex this week. Uh, we'll be happy to welcome him back next uh, next week. Uh, big shout out to Patrick Dennis Jr. from Not With The Hype Podcast. Be sure to check out his podcast. Be, f- be sure to check out our episode when we release it on all the streaming networks, iHeartRadio, YouTube, um, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you download your podcast, make sure you head over there and download. Uh, help us out. Help us continue to push this uh, this fantastic show. And a big shout out to the folks at Indie Alehouse and Variety Sports Network as they continue to partner with the Sticks in the Six podcast. With that, that's it for Peter and myself this week for episode 112 of Sticks in the Six. Be sure to follow us all on Twitter at Andrew G. Forbes, at A. Hobson Media, and at A. At P. Barracchini. You can also follow the show at Sticks in the Six Pod. That's S T I X I N T H E 6 I X P O D. Until next week, episode 113. That's all we got. Thanks for tuning in and be sure to check us out on all of our streams.